Good to see everyone this morning. Why don't you go ahead and uh, open up your notebooks there as we continue on in our study. Um, the topic for today, as you can see in your notebooks, is don't all religions lead to God. One of the um, things that's sort of unique about the United States is because we come from a Christian heritage, meaning many of our initial founders and those that uh, migrated here to the, United, to the United States prior to it being the United States, was that many of them were Christians or came from a Christian heritage or background. And so in the United States, for most of our history or our heritage, we only had one overriding or one dominant religion, which was Christianity, which means sometimes we don't always know what exists out side of us. But now that we sort of live in the 20th, 21st century, we find that a lot of those other world religions have influenced the United States to some degree. And so what we're going to talk about today is something that at first we might sort of wonder how it really applies to us. But as you go throughout the world and now in parts of the United States, you find that people's you know, minds are sort of changing. Here, um, just say a hundred years ago, um, if we would have asked the question, don't all religions lead to God, you'd probably get some strange looks from people because many of them would say, what other religions? Because Christianity is the only thing they understood or knew. But around the world, you have other places, out, you know, Asia and whatnot, where other religions are the dominant religion and Christianity is almost relatively unknown or, or whatnot. But because we're so much, uh, we move around so much now and we have all the influence of television and radio and communication around the world, we see more and more of that. And so one of the things that you may face um, from your friends, how many of you have um, friends or know others at school or in the community that are, say, Muslim? Anybody have any folks that they know that are Muslim? How about, um, Susie does. How about Indians from, from India? Yeah. Um, how many of you know some Catholics? Now, I'm going to separate Catholicism out only because even though Catholicism is considered part of Christianity, um, we're going to think of Christianity this morning from an evangelical perspective, meaning you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be born again to be saved. I was raised Catholic. Catholicism um, shares some ideas with more works-based salvation. So I'm going to sort of separate that out. I'm not saying it's not Christian. What I'm saying is that um, they don't believe the same things we necessarily do when it comes to salvation through Jesus Christ, specifically through pure grace, not by works. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. So... So you see, we've already had some in here that have, you know, some relationship with others from other persuasions or other religious ideas. Now, the challenge that we're going to face in the world is this. Many people in the world believe that all religions worship the same God simply by a different name. Has anybody ever heard that before? Well, they all just worship the same God, just different name. Okay? We hear that about the Muslims sometimes. Another challenge that we face is they'll say this, well, all religions are basically the same thing. They all teach the same thing. They teach things about loving one another. They teach about acceptance. They teach about goodness and righteousness. And so all religions, you know, yeah, they all have their own ways to God. Or they all, but they're all teaching pretty much just the same thing. Okay? That's something else that we may hear. Another thing we may hear is that it really doesn't matter what you believe. Have any of you guys ever heard that before? No, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have faith. Faith in something. What's interesting about that one is, um, and I kind of chuckle at this, when you hear people say things like that, all that matters is that you have faith. It doesn't matter what you have faith in, just have faith. Well, that makes faith the object of your worship then, not God. You're worshiping faith. 
which is kind of a weird, weird thought because we don't think that way when it comes to other things like science or whatnot. It does matter what we believe, doesn't it? So those are some of the challenges that we're going to face. Another challenge that we face, and this one is growing here in the United States, is this one. Well, you know, you Christians, you think your way is the only way. You're all arrogant. You're all judgmental. How do you know that your way is the right way and everybody else is wrong? Anybody ever hear that? Yeah. Especially if you get to, say, college campuses now. Uh, many college campuses. I remember when Steve and I were in college together. Steve, do you remember, I think was it, it must have been a psychology class or something else. You had a teacher, didn't you have a teacher that would challenge Christianity sort of outright at times? I remember sometimes in, you know, he'd come and say something about comments made by one of the professors. And that was almost 30 years ago. How do you guys know you're right? How do you know Christianity is right? Because they're going to say, no, you're just one way to heaven. Your way is okay for you, but it's not the right way for me. That's another challenge we face. And so those are some of the things that we're going to face in the world today. Not everybody thinks like we do, folks. Not everybody believes that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. They believe that the Muslims and the Hindus and everybody else all has access to God, all through their own means, and that's all that really matters, and we should just not be so arrogant and proud to think that we're the only way. Okay? Well, let's look at the truth, because there's obviously some truth that we need to study. I'm going to look at three primary areas. The first is that not all religions believe the same thing. So when somebody says, don't all religions believe the same thing, that's actually not true. Not all religions believe the same thing. We're going to look at a handful of them here, and I, and I know that um, it might get a little overwhelming with some of the facts and the details, but we're going to work our way through this anyway. We're going to look at three specific areas where religions all differ. One is they differ on their view of who God is. Okay, that's the first. The second is that they differ on what happens after you die. And then lastly, we're going to look at the differences in how they view salvation. How does a person get salvation? How does a person get whatever comes after death? So those three areas we're going to look at, okay? The first one is how they view God. We're going to look at how they view the afterlife and then how they view how you get to the afterlife, okay? Let's look at the view of God. When we think about Christianity, we think about Jesus, we believe in a personal, knowable God that we can have a relationship with. God is very interpersonal. He loves us. He spends time with us. We can talk to Him. We can know Him. That's what I mean by we have a personal God who is knowable. But we also believe that God exists in three persons, don't we, as Christians? We believe that there's God the Father... We believe that there is God the Son, and we believe that there is God the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big fancy word called the Trinity. It gets really hard sometimes to wrap our head around it and understand it. But what that basically teaches us is that God is one. He's one God, operates as one God, one sort of mind or will or desires for us, one plan of redemption, one plan of salvation. That God is one, but He exists in three distinct persons. That Jesus the Son is fully God, but He's also a separate person, has no brain. You know, he came here on earth, right? The Holy Spirit is, a, is God, but he also is separate in the sense that he's got his own personality, his own work that he does. And then you have God the Father. And each one of those has different distinct roles. You know, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, whose purpose is to make 
the Father's will known to us, to reveal the Father to us. Every time God appears in the Old Testament, it's actually Jesus Christ appearing, because that was his job and his role. So what we have in Christianity, and again, it's a hard concept to get our head around, is that we believe that God is knowable, he's personal, and that he exists one God existing in three persons that all sort of operate as one one God, if you will. Okay? Let's look at what some of the others believe, because again, what we're looking at here is that not all religions are the same. They don't all view God the same way. I'm going to give you a little trick question. How many gods did the Jews believe in? Anybody want to answer? This is, it's not really a trick question. How many gods do the Jews believe in? Yeah. Yeah, they do. They actually believe, they actually believe in what? Okay? They're a lot like Christianity in that. They are called monotheists, okay? One God. But where they differ is they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So does Judaism believe the same things Christianity does? Not when it comes to God. Okay? They deny the Trinity. They deny Jesus Christ is God. What about Islam? Yeah. Right. Islam actually also believes in monotheism. Okay? One God. But they also disagree that Jesus is God. They also disagree that the Holy Spirit is God. Anybody know what um, their God's name is? Yeah. Allah, actually. Okay. How about uh, Jehovah Witnesses? Anybody know what a Jehovah, Jehovah Witness is? They would fall into sort of the umbrella of Christianity, meaning they consider themselves Christians. We would not consider them Christians because of some things they deny about Christ. But Jehovah Witnesses, how many of you have ever had Jehovah Witnesses come to your door? To, yeah, they always come in pairs. You ever notice that? Not to my door, but I think one of my friends a while ago was a Jehovah Witness. Yeah. I don't know. Usually in every little community, we've got one in Delaware, there's the, the, the hall that they meet at, okay? Um, who knows who the Jehovah Witnesses call? What do they use for their, their God? What do they call him? Dave? Jehovah. Yeah, Jehovah. It's what, they're, it's what they're named after. Dave gets a kiss. I did that deliberately. Jehovah Witnesses also claim to be Christians. They claim they worship Jehovah, but they also reject the, the Trinity because they claim Jesus Christ was actually created by God. He has not always existed. Um, they also think that the Holy Spirit is merely a force, sort of like Star Wars. Okay. Well, again, we're starting to see here that they don't all believe the same things, do they, about God? What about um, Mormons? You guys, have you ever seen the Mormons come to your house? They usually dress really nice. Oftentimes you see them riding bikes and carrying backpacks. Those are the missionaries, by the way, because every Mormon is required to go on a missionary trip, basically. And so, and oftentimes, the guys that, unlike the Jehovah Witnesses when they show up, um, the Mormons often are educated, meaning many of the, the ones that will show up at your doors have been to seminary. They're very well educated. Um, makes it hard sometimes to talk to them because they know as much about Christianity as anybody else. And they can use that to argue and debate. But they claim to be Christians as well. But what sets them apart? Are they, anybody know what the word polytheism refers to? We know what monotheism is. Yeah, what's yeah, many gods, okay? The Mormons are actually polytheists. They believe in God. They claim that they believe in Jesus Christ. They also claim to believe in the Holy Spirit, but they are three completely distinct, separate beings, okay? They don't believe in a trinity. They don't believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God and three persons. They also believe God has a wife, 
Do you know what she's called, anybody? Yeah, Mrs. God. <laughs> She's called the Heavenly Mother. The Heavenly Mother. They also believe that they can ascend to Godhood themselves. Really, Jesus Christ was just a human that ascended to be God. Okay, that doesn't sound like Christianity at all, does it? A um, couple others. Hinduism. Anybody know anything about Hinduism? They're also polytheists. They believe in male gods and female gods. Anybody want to take a venture as to how many gods they have? You can't count them. There are millions, and they can add and and subtract. There's millions and millions of Hindu gods. I'll mention just one other one, Buddhism here. Um, Buddhism is mostly um, agnostic. Remember I said that we believe that God is knowable. You can know him and interact with him. Buddhists really don't. They're more agnostic. They don't really believe in personal gods or that God is knowable. So when we think about this, when you look at just one category, God, do all religions believe the same thing about God? No. And what we saw here is they're all very different. There's some similarities. Some are monotheists, some are polytheists, but their ideas about God are very different. So we don't share a lot in common with other world religions. They're all different when it comes to how they describe God and what they believe about God. Let's move on to the second category. What do they believe about the afterlife? Guys, what do we, somebody tell me out here, what do we believe happens after death? Somebody want to describe what they think happens after death? Besides getting your mansion? Well, we believe in an afterlife, don't we? We don't believe that when we die, that's just, just it. We know, or we believe, that after death, we go one direction or the other direction, don't we? Okay. What are, what are our options when we die? Yeah, heaven or ultimately what we'll call damnation, the lake of fire. Okay, We believe in an afterlife. We don't believe that the soul just, this is it, and it just totally ends here. Okay, Somebody turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. These are your Bible verses for today. Does anybody want to volunteer to read John 3, 16 for me? Somebody just can read that out loud. And it can be an adult, too. If you really want to treat, just tell me, you know. Yeah, so what we find there is that we're promised eternal life because of Jesus Christ. The Bible promises us, promises us that we have eternal life if we know Jesus Christ, but it also says there that the alternative, if you don't know Christ, is that you will perish. Okay? What about um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 46? Chapter 25, sorry, 25, verse 46. Chapter 25, verse 46 in Matthew. Can I get another volunteer for that? Yes, Eddie. Yeah, those will go away, or these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What we find there is that Jesus is talking about what happens after death. That some will go off into eternal life with God forever, and some will go off to basically eternal death or punishment. Okay. Now, what about, that's us, that's Christianity. Okay, We believe in an afterlife where those who know Christ get eternal life, those who don't, do not. What about Judaism? Anybody know what Judaism teaches? 
The Jews actually believe, and it, this is this is difficult because there's many flavors of Judaism. It's kind of like Christianity. There's many different flavors, but in some traditions, the truly righteous get to ascend to the Garden of Eden. Those that aren't so righteous actually go down to a place called Gehinnon, which actually is a place where they go for about a year, where they sort of work out their salvation and they're purified, and then they go to the Garden of Eden. And if they really don't quite work it out, then they don't go to the Garden of Eden and they basically go and are destroyed and suffer suffer eternal torment. But in their mindset, most people, even really bad people, ultimately can atone for their own sins and go up to the Garden of Eden. They spend eternity in the Garden of Eden. Mormons, um, Mormons believe that after death each person will be judged and sent to one of four kingdoms. They have four places they can only get one or two. But they have four. Okay, One of them is something called the Celestial Kingdom. It's the Kingdom of Glory. And that's the best place to go because you get to spend time with God the Father. Well, if you're not quite good enough for that, you get to go to the Terrestrial Kingdom, which is for moderate Mormons, where you get to hang out with Jesus. You don't get to see God the Father, but you get to see Jesus the Son. If you're not quite good enough for that, then you go on into another kingdom called the Telestial Kingdom. So you have the celestial, the terrestrial, and the telestial kingdom. And that's where you get to hang out with the Holy Spirit. But not Jesus and not God. So it's like tiered. Okay? The best Mormons get to go hang out with God. Second best Mormons get to go hang out with Jesus. The third best Mormons get to go hang out with the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of them get cast into the fourth kingdom, which is called the place of utter darkness. Okay? And that's where Satan and his demons live. And it's for those people who knew about Jesus but didn't accept Jesus. So you can see that they've even got sort of a crazy notion of what happens after death. What about Jehovah Witnesses? Well, they believe in heaven, but only 144,000 people get to go there. But they also believe that um, after death, those who don't get to either go to heaven or don't get to stay here on earth will get annihilated. So, in other words, in our understanding of the scriptures, those who reject Christ go to eternal punishment. The Jehovah Witnesses say, no, you're just annihilated. You're just wiped out. So there is no hell. There's only the good place. And if you don't go there, then you get annihilated and you don't know you exist anymore because you, you don't. There are some in Christianity within the immersion church that are teaching the same thing. Rob Bell, for instance, teaches annihilism. Annihilationism. How about Buddhists? Buddhists believe in, yeah, I'm just doing what my manager said because he said he's a best right. look on life and what he said is that he believes in reincarnation and he said that he believes he's lived before. Yeah. Um, Buddhists are kind of interesting because they strive for something called nirvana. This place of enlightenment and peace and the way that you get there is you keep going through this reincarnation over and over and over and every time you get a little better and a little better and you get closer and closer to this fabulous state it's not a place it's a state of being called nirvana okay ah you know can all do that right hindus strive for something called moksha and they do the same thing reincarnation over and over and over and finally you figure it out and you escape reincarnation and you finally don't have to be reincarnated again. So, I ask you again, do we all believe the same things? When people say, 
Well, all religions teach the same thing. We're starting to see that they don't. They all teach something different as it comes to God, as it comes to the afterlife. And then finally, we'll look at this one as well, when it comes to salvation. How do we actually get salvation? How do we get to heaven, folks? Somebody want to help me out on that? I'm hoping somebody knows here because we should. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, we believe that our way to salvation comes through Jesus Christ. We read it before, John chapter 3, verse 16. Somebody turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'll ask for another volunteer. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Yeah, read it real loud for us. Yeah, so what did that verse tell us there? Go ahead and grab one. What did that verse tell us there? We are saved by grace, not based on our works. So in Christianity, what the Bible teaches us is that salvation is purely a free gift given to us by God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So do we have to work for our salvation? No, we don't have to work for our salvation, right? It's a gift given to us. It's not dependent on us. And the text tells us here, so that we don't boast. So, we are saved, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. That's how we believe salvation is possible for the Christian. That it's not our job, it's not our works, it's purely God's gift of grace through what he did in Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, what about Judaism? What does Judaism believe when it comes to how to get salvation. Anybody remember? We kind of looked at this a little bit when we studied the book of Romans, when Paul was talking about works of the law. In Judaism, how you're saved has everything to do with righteous living. You can gain your salvation by works of the law. If you're just a good Jew, then God's cool with you. doesn't mean they don't love God, but it means that they believe that if you're just good enough, they do the law that they're good enough then to go to heaven. What about Islam? Anybody know how Muslims get saved? Anybody other than Katie? <laughs> Katie, go ahead. Yeah, what's interesting about um, Islam is that they teach that we're saved by Allah's grace, but ultimately you've got to kind of go through what are called the five pillars to do that. So, it's by God's grace, but you have to do your works too and and work your way through the five pillars of Islam. Mormonism, um, they say the same thing. Well, you're saved by grace, but only after you've done everything you can do to be the best Mormon you can be. Remember we talked about the different kingdoms that they have if you're really really good you get to go to the one with God and if you're not quite as good you get to go to the one with Jesus in it and then you know I'll settle for the Holy Spirit I just wasn't quite good enough to be a Mormon so Mormonism teaches as well that ultimately it's your works that get you saved or get you your rewards Jehovah Witnesses um, they also say God's grace but then they say you have to prove that you're worthy of your salvation by your works as well Now, Buddhism and Hindus are 
again, sort of a different breed in that they don't so much think of heaven as much as they think of eterning, you know, of, of sort of getting to this state or whatever, but it gets even a little bit more convoluted. Um, Buddhists actually have their eightfold path. And it all has to do with, I'll rip these off pretty quickly, it's kind of interesting because they all start with the word right. You go through this path of right understanding, then right thought, then right speech, which leads to right conduct, which means right way of making a living, which leads to a right mental attitude or effort, which leads to right mindfulness, that ultimately then leads to right concentration and meditation. And if you can do all of that, you reach your state. Hindus achieve their concept of salvation by going through four paths. So what's the point of all this? They don't teach the same things. Every religion has their own view of God, their own view of the afterlife, their own view of what salvation is. They have their own view of how to get to that state as well. So the first point here is that not all religions teach the same thing. So when people say, well, they all teach the same thing, They're not, that's not true. There's people that don't understand that all religions are different. Now, let me ask you this question, guys. Just a simple yes, no. Since all religions teach something different, can they all be right? I see a lot of head shaking, no. No, they can't be, right? So when somebody says, well, they all lead to the same place, what if I said, you know, 2 plus 2 equals whatever you want it to be? Would that be right? No, because 2 plus 2 equals what? 4. Which means, if somebody says 2 plus 2 equals 5, and somebody else says 2 plus 2 equals 6, and somebody else says 2 plus 2 equals 0, can they all be right? No. So, since all religions teach something different that puts us in a very interesting place. They can't all be right, but can they all be wrong? Just a little bit of, yeah. So one option is, because they all teach something different, one option is, they can all be wrong. And that's true, they could all be wrong. Because they can't all be right. Now, is it possible for one of them to be true? Yeah. So you basically only have two choices. Either one is true and only one is true, or they're all wrong. Those are the only two options. There are no other options. Now, am I nuts to think that? No, if somebody says 2 plus 2 equals 10, 2 plus 2 equals 8, 2 plus 2 equals 7, they can all be wrong, but only one can be right. So, let's look at that. When it comes to Christianity, this is key. Because Christianity claims to be the only way. Christianity claims to be the only way. Some of these other religions don't make that claim now. Muslims claim the only way is Islam, you know. But not every religion makes claims of exclusivity, that we're the only way. Some say, it just doesn't matter, you know. You got your own path. That's fine. Some Hindus and Muslim or Hindus and, and uh, Buddhists would claim such things. You know, you're, you're finding your own path, and that's good for you. But there are some that make exclusive claims. It's us or nothing. We're the only way, and Christianity happens to be one of them. And the reason that's important is this. Because if Christianity says it's absolutely the only way, it's either right or it's completely wrong. 
Okay? Now, let's look at some of these statements. Somebody turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 35 and then 39. Can I get an adult to read that out loud for me? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35 and then verse 39. David? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God. There is no other besides Him. Then 39, yep. Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Okay. See what he says there? Make an exclusive claim. God saying, Today, I'm going to show you what's right. I'm the Lord your God. There's only one. There's no other God. This is it. So, the Hindus and the Muslims with their millions and millions of gods... Or the Mormons with their multiple gods. Christianity says they're wrong. There's only one, and it's just me, the Lord your God. Okay? What about um, Isaiah 46? Somebody turn to Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Can I get an adult volunteer to read that for me? Isaiah 46, 9. Yeah, Steve, you can read that out loud. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one. So again, you get God making an exclusive claim. I'm it. I'm the only God. And we know that in Christianity that fits in the context of the one God in three persons with Christ, because Christ will make the same claims. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'll read a couple more of these. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So what Christianity tell, says is it makes the exclusive claim that there's only one person that can mediate or can fix the problem between us and God. Only one that can deal with our sin. And it's Jesus Christ. Meaning, Christianity says there's only one way to bridge the gap between God and man. And that is Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 14, verse 6, says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, he's talking about Thomas here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So again, we have this exclusive claim where Jesus said, I'm it. I am the only way to make it to the Father. One last verse. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Who wants to read that one for me? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Yes. Real loud. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Okay, what does that verse say? There's no other name under heaven. Not a single one that will save us except for Jesus Christ. Why do I have you look at these verses? When a Christian is a Christian, he has to believe that that is the only way. You can't be a Christian and say, well, there are many paths to God. Hinduism is okay. Mormonism is okay. Judaism is okay. Because our faith itself is exclusive. To be a Christian means you understand and recognize that there is only one way. 
that Christianity is the only right way, Christianity is the only right religion, that does not make us arrogant. That means we simply believe what our faith teaches. Okay? So, by its very nature, Christianity is exclusive. Now, the reason that's important is this. If it's right, that means everything else is wrong. If it's wrong, then everybody's wrong. It's the only way it can work. So what we have here is this claim of exclusivity. There's something unique about Christianity. Now, I'm going to give us, give us four proofs, if you will. So how do we know that Christianity is true and the others are wrong? How do we know that Christianity is true and the others are wrong? I'm going to give you four, what I'm going to call, proofs here. Now, the thing to keep in mind about proofs is any one of them all by themselves isn't necessarily proof. Rather, it's sort of the preponderance of the evidence. Okay? So when I say proofs, it doesn't mean it's, you know, this proves it, it's the only thing i got to argue. It just means that the evidence is there. So the first proof is this. The impact of Christianity on the world is like no other world religion. So the first proof about the validity of Christianity is that in spite of the constant and severe opposition that Christianity has faced, it has had an impact on the world like no other world religion. How many how many um, people are in the world? Roughly seven billion. Yeah, roughly seven billion people. Do you know how many of those um, would claim to be Christians or are probably in the vein that we would consider to fit within genuine Christianity? It's two point, about 2.2 billion people. Now, again, you have to be a little careful because some of those, you know, like probably you would fit into that, say you would fit into that Catholic, so again, view salvation slightly differently, generally speaking, than, than maybe an evangelical Christian. But for the most part, they think that there's about 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. I want you to think about something for a second. You have this man, Jesus Christ, born in a place called Bethlehem to unmarried parents and somehow he has a public ministry of about three and a half years in a very small place little tiny sliver of land in the world if you think about where Israel is it's a little tiny sliver of land he only lives to about 30, 33 years of age he's only in a public ministry for about three, three and a half years He gets crucified and put to death. His 12 followers, well, 13 if you want to count Judas in there, but Judas committed suicide, but the others, plus Paul, are then martyred and put to death within the first probably 90 years of, of, in the first 90, you know, first uh, 90 years or 100 years of of the first century. Now think about this for a second. How in the world does that lead to 2.2 billion people in the world being Christians. How is it that such an insignificant place in the world with what would, many would consider an insignificant person with followers who all get killed? How does that change the world? There is something interesting and unique about that. If you think about what happened in that first century, in the first, within the first 10 days of Jesus' crucifixion, or I mean of his ascension, within the first Ten days, 3,000 Jews committed their life to Christ. If you think about just within a few matter of weeks after that, another 
5,000 men, which is probably, the only the men are mentioned there, probably fifteen to 20,000 additional Jews, all within a couple of weeks after that, come to Christ. And then over the course of the next 300 years, this small ragtag group of people radically changes one of the most corrupt, morally bankrupt world superpowers in history, the Roman Empire. Radically changes that empire from what it was into what we would call, we'll call it a Christian nation that then impacts the rest of the world. There's no other world religion where that's happened. Nothing. And what's crazy about that is the Christians have been the most widely persecuted group of religious people ever in history. Every generation in history, every period in history, and so many parts of the world, Christians have been persecuted, stomped out, Almost everywhere you go through history, and there have been concerted efforts to completely wipe out Christianity, and yet it continues to thrive. In fact, even today, when you look at places like North Korea, the church, the underground church in North Korea, one of the probably most severest places of persecution for Christians in the the world right now, the underground church is thriving. That doesn't generally just happen with other world religions. For there is something unique about Christianity and the impact that it has had on the world. In fact, I'm going to mention some areas here for us. If you think about in the in the West here, what we refer to as the West, which would be Europe and America, um, the Bible is the basis for our human rights. It's the basis for our Constitution. It's the basis for our courts and our law system, isn't it? Many of our laws are built upon Old Testament laws and New Testament principles and concepts. How about modern science? How many of you guys know who Sir Isaac Newton was? I'm going to see if somebody here doesn't... What's Sir Isaac Newton known for? Anybody want to... There's a famous story. It's not really true, but he was sitting under a tree and what happened? Anybody remember? An apple fell. That's what the the story says. Sir Isaac Newton was basically an English physicist, a mathematician, and he's famous for developing our laws as they relate to motion and gravity. People say that he discovered gravity. I'm not so sure because I'm sure people walking around the earth, you know, still stuck to the earth, so he didn't discover gravity himself. But he's basically attributed with discovering gravity and a lot of our laws. He was a Christian man. He actually is probably considered to be Um, the leading figure in what was called the scientific revolution, which was brought about in the 16th and 17th century. Prior to that, science didn't exist. You guys, you wouldn't have a clue as to what science used to be like back in the 15th century and earlier. It was all a lot of mysticism and weirdness. They used to think that the earth was held up by a giant tortoise and all kinds of weirdness. Well, with, with that 16th and 17th century, there was a scientific revolution led by Christians that totally changed the way we looked at science. And Newton was at the forefront of that. He happened to be a Christian man. How many, how many of you guys know who Louis Pasteur is? Come on, the Schmeckles ought to know this. Yeah. Anybody recognize that last name? You guys probably drink something every morning that he's been able to, in some respects, influence. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Louis Pasteur. Does that word sound like something? Pasteurization, yeah, what is pasteurization? 
That's when they take meat, or meat, they take milk and they basically superheat it, and they, if I remember right, and it basically cleans it up. It helps make it so that it that, um, doesn't have you know, germs and disease, that type of stuff. And so it's a way of um, helping to clean up milk. That was Louis Pasteur that actually led to the pasteurization process. Um, he actually specialized in germs and disease and how food spoils. Do you remember what they used to think about how, you know, they used to think that flies came from meat. Anybody remember those this experiments? Yeah. Flies came from meat and what do they, well basically they covered up meat so that no flies could get in it and the meat still spoils, but flies don't. Well, that all started with Louis Pasteur. He was another Christian man. Anybody know who invented the first calculator? This is a tough one. You guys probably don't remember what it was like to have to do everything by hand. Did you guys get to use calculators in school? Man, okay, because yeah, same. When we were growing up, we couldn't touch the things, you know. Um, anybody know the name Bla- Blaise Pascal? There's a programming language that I learned when I was in college called Pascal. It was named after him. But he was a famous French mathematician. I'm going to do one last one here. You guys might not recognize this one. Anybody know who Johannes Kepler was? There's a satellite, or I mean, a, there's a giant telescope, space telescope named after him. Um, he's the one that figured out how planets move through space. Again, back in the 16th and 17th century. What, what's, what pattern do planets follow around their sun? Oval shape. Yeah, it's an, an oval shape, elliptical. He was the one that discovered that. Now, why do I bring these guys up? Christianity had a major impact on science. We would not think of science today had it not been for Christian men and women who led the scientific revolution. It was the church. All these other world religions at the time didn't influence science because they all had these mystical ideas and that's how they viewed science. But Christianity radically changed all that. Many people believe because of the scientific elements contained within the Bible. Many of the science statements. How about our modern education? Do you know that prior to the 16th century, most education took place in the home? Now, as a homeschooler, we kind of like that. But the problem was, back in those days, homeschooling wasn't all that great. Most kids couldn't read. But the church began to think, you know what? And this partly came about as you think about the, um, the Reformation with Martin Luther and others. Um, this idea that people should be able to read the Bible. And they needed the Bible for themselves to read it. So they began to teach kids how to read so they could study the Bible. And that was all done by the church, by Christianity. And it led to an educational reform where they began to to think that, no, this is good, we need to study now. And so at that time, churches began to set up schools. Your first public schools were led by Christians and by churches. They were held in the churches. And the reason was to promote Christianity and an understanding of the world, and that coincided with the scientific revolution too. So our modern school system has gotten away from that now, which is why um, you know, we have Christian schools now, and we have homeschooling, and why when kids are in public school, why um, parents you know, pay attention to that and sort of try to make sure that what's taught in schools doesn't you know, impact us too heavily from what's you know, taught at home. Our, Christian school, our, our schools have kind of moved away from that you know, quite a bit, where initially it was about teaching kids to be able to read so they can study the Bible. Study, study science from a Christian perspective. And so Christianity is, is really at the root of our education system. In fact, did you guys know that almost every single one of the colleges, there's 123 colleges in the colonies prior to um, formation of a nation, all but one were Christian universities. All started by the church. 
What about our health care? Anybody know what some of the hospital names are in our city here? Yeah, we've got a, there's a couple of hospitals. What are the names of the hospitals here? Anybody know? Saint. Oh, does that sound a little religious, folks? That's a yeah. What about what's another one? Riverside. But what is its full name? Riverside Methodist Hospital. Oh, interesting. Christian name. Okay. Um, we've got uh, Mount Carmel, Saint Anne's. Um, another one. Did you know that most hospitals, nursing homes, um, orphanages were all started by the churches? We would not have hospitals and nursing homes for the most part, if you think about it, had the church not been involved with that. They were driven to care for people. So what's my point in bringing all this up? One of the proofs that Christianity is radically different than every other world religion is that no other world religion has had the impact that Christianity has had. From our sciences, to our education, to our hospitals and how we care for people, to science. That in itself says there's something unique about Christianity that's different than every other world religion. So that's our first proof, if you will. Let's look at the second proof. The life of Jesus himself. A lot of the world religions have their own people they follow, Mohammed and others, but there's none like Jesus himself. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. I'll read that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ was sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Why don't you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he was without sin. So the second proof that we have that there is something unique and different about Christianity that makes it right is the life of Jesus. He was sinless. He was sinless. When we look at the life of Mohammed, it's pretty clear that Mohammed wasn't sinless. When we look at some of the other world religious leaders, we find that they are not sinless. Jesus Christ was sinless. There's something unique about him. We also see that there are hundreds of prophecy, prophecies in the Old Testament made about Jesus that all came true. We have that with no other prophet, with no other world religious leader. You can't point to all these prophecies made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he came on the scene that were all fulfilled in him. We also have the miracles of Jesus, don't we? And you know what's interesting is we have great documented proof, if you will, or evidence of the miracles that Jesus did. We don't see that in the other world religious leaders, do we? In fact, there's really no miracles attributed to Muhammad. Nothing verifiable, anyway. What was the greatest miracle of Jesus? Anybody know what that is? What was the greatest miracle of Jesus? His resurrection. Name one other world religious leader that prophesied his own death, the way it would happen, 
and his own resurrection and had it come true. There aren't any. So we have as our second proof the life of Jesus. There's something unique about him. It's amazing when you think even people that aren't Christians know the name Jesus. Not everyone. Because he stands out. There's something unique about him. The third proof is the evidence that the Bible is the word of God. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. So our third proof that Christianity is right is that we have the evidence that the Bible is the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that the word of God is inspired or God-breathed. Remember that? Does anybody remember any of the proofs that we looked at last week in your book there? Some of the things that told us that the word of God was reliable and trustworthy, that it's right. You got it in your book. Anybody want to shout some of them out for me? Just go back to last week's message. What were some of the, some of the things that we looked at there? What do we know about the Bible when it comes to history? Remember one of your points there, that the Bible was accurate historically? That's one of the proofs of the Bible's right. Anybody remember any other proofs that the Bible is right? Yeah. Astronomy. Astronomy? Exactly, yeah. What we see about the stars and all that. Um, what else was, what's another proof there? Yeah. Geology. Yeah, geology. When we look about what the Bible says about geology. Um, so we have all this evidence that the Word of God can be validated. You know what? That's unique. Because when you look at so many of the other world religions and their writings and their what they call their scriptures... It's a lot of stuff, but there's not a whole lot verifiable in it. And oftentimes there's even things that are wrong. You know, one, one great example would be, how many of you know the story about how Mormonism came about? Joseph Smith is out wandering around and he stumbles upon an angel who happens to reveal to him these golden tablets and gives him these golden glasses to be able to read these golden tablets. Okay? And he basically states that the Americas, the Indians in America here, or the people in here in America, were actually the lost tribe of Israel. But there's no archaeological evidence of any of that that we can find. So there's these statements made in the Book of Mormon about things that happened here historically on our continent that we know are not true. There's no evidence for it. And not only that, there's evidence to the contrary. Okay? Plus, there are 13 different versions of that story. Which one's true? Okay? The Bible's unlike that. It's verifiable. We have all this proof and evidence that the Bible's the Word of God and it can be trusted. And if it says Christianity is right, if it says that Jesus is the only way, what does that mean? Jesus is the only way. The last proof I'll give you is just the uniqueness of Christianity, and then we'll try to wrap this up. The fourth proof that makes Christianity right is its uniqueness. You know, it's the only world religion that's based purely on God's grace and not works. You notice when we looked at these other religions, every single other world religion has something in common with the others. They're all based on works. It's all about how good you are, how good you can be, how you can earn your way to God, or earn your way to nirvana. Christianity is unique in that it's the only one that says, no, it's a free gift out of the grace and mercy of God. Somebody told me recently, they was like, what idiot thought that up? Meaning, who, who would come up with it? 
None of us would ever come up with that because we all think we can work our way to heaven. That's why every other world religion says that. Because nobody was smart enough to say, no, can't do it, we're too wicked, we're too evil, God has to do it for us. Christianity is unique in that, is that Christianity says, no, it's not about us. It's about what God did for us. It's also unique in that it's the only world religion that's based on a relationship with God. Do you notice that with these other world religions? They don't always think that God is personable or knowable. We have a relationship with God because God reached down and wanted a relationship with us. God has revealed himself to us. He wants us to know him. Most world religions, God is up here and we're sort of here. Some of them say, yeah, you can sort of get to God, but he's not all that personable. Here we have a God that is personable and knowable and desires us to know him and want to be around him. That makes Christianity unique. The last, or the last point is that it's the only world religion that stands or falls on an undeniable historical truth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have historical evidence, and that makes Christianity unique. So we have these basically these four proofs that I think indicate that Christianity is right and the others are wrong. We've looked at some of these things and we see that there's enough uniqueness about Christianity that makes it stand out and different from every other world religion. Now again, is this, you know, would it stand up in a court of law? It'd be pretty good. But each one of these, as we look at them, indicates that Christianity is at least worth investigating. So when others say, well, they all lead to the same place, you can say, no, they all don't. There's something unique about Christianity. Say, well, they all teach the same thing. No, they don't. Christianity is very different. They all have the same ideas about heaven. and No, they don't. Christianity is unique. Now, I'll let you guys work through the knowing how you can respond. You'll notice I put um, one example there. If they ask, don't all religions pretty much teach the same thing? I gave you some ideas there of what you might do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one out there. I'd like you to do this for me. I've got one other question. It's not in your notes there. I want you to write this question down. How do you know you're right when it comes to your religion? Okay, That's what we talked about today. How do you know you're right when it comes to your religion? And what I want you to do, I want you to write that, and I want you to talk to your parents about it. I want you to come up with some ideas. What might you say based on what we looked at today? How might you answer that? And I want you to, I want you to focus on just one of the four proofs that we talked about today. Okay, Use one of those four proofs as your answer. And see how you do it. So if somebody asks you, well, how do you know you're right? How do you know, how do you know Christianity is right? Think about one of those four proofs and then give an answer based on that proof. Okay? And talk about that with your parents, whether it's on the drive home or at home sometime this week. Okay?